Hey guys, how's it going? Welcome to another episode of 5-Minute Major Radio. Dave here, along with my broadcast partner in crime, Matt Mestre-Giovanni. Matt, well, finally, <laughs> I guess you could say, this crazy COVID-filled 2019-2020 Philadelphia Flyers season has now come to an end. Um, we're going to dive all into it this evening. Um, they got our hopes up. They they won game six in double overtime, and then, well, game seven was uh, game seven. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to sum it all up at this point, how I'm feeling is like that uh, that Pablo Escobar meme, where it's like him like kind of looking just like semi depressed, like sitting on like at his kitchen table, uh, just standing out in his driveway. Uh, and then, like, s- sitting on, like, his porch swing or something like that. Um, I think it's from the show Narcos. Yeah, I think it is from Narcos. Yeah, but, like, that that meme uh, that meme template of those three pictures is basically how I'm feeling at this point. Because, I mean, again, regardless of there's if there's a pandemic or not, when your team gets eliminated from the playoffs, you become a lot less invested. Where, yeah. like... Yes, it's still cool that, like, there's playoff hockey going on, especially nowadays, but it's like, all right, like, just kind of you're already ready for next season to begin, whenever that may be, I think in December or January. Who the hell knows what's going on with that? But, like you said, I mean, the Flyers, they battled back. They made it interesting, and then they made it interesting all the way up until the puck dropped in Game 7, and then they just basically fell flat on their faces, and just completely blew it and i mean we talked about this just a couple minutes ago before we started recording but you put up 16 shots in a whole game regardless of if it's game seven or not even if it's not a playoff game you're probably not gonna win so yeah i mean and we saw almost it was like the flyers were basically hanging on for dear life which they were for most of the series and then got their footing back and then again like i said they just completely just trip up fall flat on their face and they're there there were i mean there were times there were way too many times in the series but especially in game seven for majority of the game from what i was watching because i was um safely away in the mountains this weekend but it, it was just bad like there was no fight in this team like I mean, Carter Hart, as usual, was good. Like, he was the best part of this series, I would say. Um, aside from Lindblom coming back, coming back, which we can touch on. But it's like, first and foremost, they had to play a Game 7. And they, they it, it, it looked like they had reverted back to, like, Dave Haxtell era Flyers. And I hate that we have to say that because we saw so much promise from this team in the regular season before the pause. And... <clears throat> for them to just go out like with a like yeah that like that it like just to sputter out in a game seven like it was just it's brutal like you you had so much hope where again they were a juggernaut uh going into the pause they went on that nine game win streak they lost to boston the next game uh gets canceled because of obviously the pandemic I guess starts up in the United States at least, but like before everything went sideways, there was a lot of hope and there still is a lot of hope. Don't get me wrong. But like just 
focused on this season. There was a lot of hope for this team to do something and to make a splash in the playoffs for the first time in a decade. And you felt it with Montreal where it's like, all right, like they can kind of like they can get by because obviously Montreal surprised the Penguins and they uh, ousted them in the qualifier round. But then you saw the Flyers like come up and you're like, all right, like we just basically steamrolled the top four te- the top three teams in the Eastern Conference. Went from four to one. Um, we come in against the number eight seed in the East, the number 24 seed in the whole playoffs. Yep. Um, and we struggle against them, but we get by. So you're like, all right, like we'll call it like a win's a win. And then we saw the Islanders did kind of do the same thing. To, I mean, they did the same thing to us, where they basically, again, uh, we've said this ad nauseum, they just basically choke you out and suffocate you uh, with their forecheck, with their transition, whatever you want to call it. And they did the same thing to the New York, not the New York Rangers, the Washington Capitals in the first round. Same thing to the Flyers, but it hurts a lot more when you're a Flyers fan and you're you're seeing this, like, this looks terrible. and. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, again, the Islanders are, and we've said this again before, the Islanders shouldn't be good on paper, but the way Barry Trotz utilized his players and his matchups and even his goalies, I mean, I think, like, you could argue that he outcoached Elaine Vigneault, um, like, I'm trying to think what else, he outcoached Elaine Vigneault, plus, I mean, we could talk about the lineup decisions that Vigneault and the Flyers coaches made in this series, forever but to some degree i feel like it's coming it's got to come down to the players themselves where Mm -hmm. like you got to realize you're in the second round of the stanley cup playoffs yeah there's no one in the stands yes like the the outside world is a dumpster fire but like you still have your quote-unquote job to do to play your best to help your team win a stanley cup and there were there was not enough of that obviously to happen to have that happen for the Flyers. And, I mean, it just makes it even worse where, like, again, there was so much promise and you just kind of saw them go out with, like, a fizzle instead of a bang. So, but I'll I'll throw it over to you, Dave, and you can kind of release how you're feeling. <laughs> and we'll just go from there because we're basically uh, just kind of – this is, like, the eulogy for the season here. Yeah. Um, just – in the moment, Saturday night, I was livid, furious. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I posted on our all of our socials, the better team won, end of story. And that's accurate. Um, the Philadelphia Flyers did bounce back from trailing 3-1 in this series. They won game five and game six, both games in overtime to force the game seven. And that does take a lot of momentum and energy on your side, but it's also very taxing. Yeah, and you essentially, you know, game game six went into double overtime, and of course game five just went into single overtime. So you essentially played an extra game's worth of hockey, like an extra like hockey game, to even up the series, um, at three apiece. So well, and it was also like not to interrupt, but it was also almost like an enigma where it was like. It was kind of backwards, where like the Flyers got better the later the game went. Where it was like 
they controlled play in over in the overtimes that they played in so yeah. much better than they did in any of those regular like yeah. regulation periods, which is completely backwards because obviously you won't you don't even want to go into overtime, but it's like they're like if they played four or five periods, they were the better team in the extra in the extra periods, which I mean again, a win's a win in the playoffs no matter how ugly it is, but like the 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 ugliness and just there were so many negatives that the Flyers had going for them that completely outshined them in this series. But when you look at the regular season and you look at the season as a whole, there are a lot of moments, there are a lot of positives, and I think the positives do outweigh the negatives. I think we talked about this last week too. Yeah. But and we're gonna address it more this, in detail tonight. The series, the series as a microcosm and as its own independent thing was bad. It it was bad. The- I mean, we all love AV, but he got outcoached by Barry Trotz, as you said. Um, and one of the big differences is even though the Flyers on paper are a better team, mm-hmm. whatever team comes to work, you know, brings their pail bucket or has their big boy pants per se on <laughs> is going to win the hockey game. The New York Islanders brought their lunch pail and their big boy pants and they came to play. Mm-hmm. And the Islanders stars showed up. Matt Barzell was electric. Anders Lee was fantastic. Bailey was great. Everly was great. You know, they were their offensive stars came through. Flyers stars were not really existent in these playoffs. They they got by in the round robin and against the Montreal Canadiens and up until game seven on superb, I mean superb goaltending from Carter Hart, decent defense, and third, fourth liners scoring. Mm-hmm. Your only real top six forward that impressed you in points in this postseason was Kevin Hayes. In 16 games, he had four goals, nine assists for 13 points. Not a bad playoff debut for your first year as a Philadelphia Flyer. Those are solid numbers. But when you look to other players of this core, Jake Voracek, in 15 games played, four goals, five assists, nine points. Sean Couturier, again, nine points in 15 games, but only two goals and seven assists. Claude Giroux, 16 games played, eight points, one goal, seven assists. Travis Konechny, six, seven points in 16 games, all seven were assists, no goals. Um, James Van Riemsdyk, 12 games played, two points, two goals. Like, it's just stuff like that. Just like, okay, that's your main core. That's the yeah. core of where you need firing on all cylinders, on all cylinders, if you're going to win a freaking hockey game. And they weren't firing. And I don't know what the hell was going on at mm-hmm. all. Um, and stats have been brought up, you know, that Claude Giroux has been on the decline, you know, these last couple, his last couple of post seasons. And, I think it's personally really unfair to bring up those statistics really after 2012 on because in the years where the Flyers had the playoffs in the Craig Berube, Dave Haxtell era, all G really had was him, Borchek, and Simmons. No help <laughs> other than those three at all. Yeah. So it's like, what are you like? What are you expecting? Like Claude Giroux, while in his prime, was one of the best forwards in the game. He was never the best forward in the game, mm-hmm. and. You know, Philadelphia is going to Philadelphia. We always, we and myself included, I will say that I am guilty of doing this. We always overvalue what we have. 
we always think the players that we have are better than other people. <laughs> but sometimes when you, you need to sit back and go, okay, they might have at one point, but are they right now? And that's very concerning. Um, now, granted, you know, some of those players, you know, Voracek and Giroux still put up, you know, decent amount of points. You know, where if you pace that out over a regular season, they're going to put up decent numbers and you're going to be happy with that performance. Um, but it was just missing that big moment. It seemed like the only two forwards who stepped up to get big goals for the team were Kevin Hayes and Scott Lawton. I'm okay with Kevin Hayes doing that. Scott yeah. Lawton's kind of like, should he though? Like, you, you shouldn't everyone, have to. Every once in a while, a third line player gets hot in the playoffs and they have a type of run. Yeah. And like, it's cool. Like, back when I was first really getting into hockey again, are those R.J. Umberger years back in 2000, 2008. You know, Joffrey Lupul, guys like that. Dan Carcillo even having chipping big goals in 2010. But they're doing that along with your big guns being there and showing up. Yeah. And I can tell you right now that Jake Voracek and Claude Drew and James and Psych are under a whole lot of fire right now. And <laughs> I feel like this fan base right now is out for blood. Like, they are... Not happy, and and I, I like get. When are when are we not out for blood though? Like that's, 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 <laughs> Philadelphia is gonna Philadelphia. Yeah. Um, and it just stinks because, you know, I, I definitely think, you know, if the Flyers, you know, stayed the four seed in the postseason and lost in the second round, and had this type of performance, people would have gone. You know what? It's okay. They were the four seed. You know, they just missed out on playing in a qualifying round. You know, they made it to the second round. That's cool. But when you jump from four to one, expectations go way, way, way up. Yeah. And as and then your whole mind changes because you're saying, oh, we're the first seed. We're the best team in the conference. Let's, let, you know, let's go. And you see how the way they played Montreal. And then you see the way they handled the Islanders. And everyone's kind of like, this is not how a number one seed should be playing. Um and it sucks. It was disappointing. Am I proud of the fact that for the first time in, you know, almost 10 years, the Philadelphia Flyers advanced to the second round of the playoffs? You damn right I am. Am I proud they battled back to force a game seven? Damn straight I am. Like, those are all impressive things. Yeah. And it's all very, very good for the next core of this team. Like, even though Travis Konechny wasn't invisible, was invisible this postseason, still good experience. Ivan Provorov proved he's still a number one defenseman in this postseason. And Joel Farabee and Phil Myers and Travis Sanheim all started to learn what you need to do to win in the National Hockey League in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm. This is something they're never going to forget. And now they're going to know that it's going to be ingrained in their minds saying the way we played in the 2020 Stanley Cup playoffs is not how you win hockey games in the postseason. Um, so it's definitely something that the players can lean on and learn from. Coaching decisions are very interesting. Um, <laughs> well, I... right, so I'll let you finish, but I have I'll that'll transition into my my thoughts here. But finish your thought, and then we'll go we'll go back to me. I just don't understand Elaine Vigneau, Michel Therrien, Mike Yo, and Ian Lapierre. All throughout the season, always seem to know what to do with this lineup 
during the regular season if there was something wrong. Mm. They had the right fix, and it worked. In the postseason, that didn't seem to work. And there was also a big reluctance, a big reluctance to fix the lineup if something wasn't working. And you saw wrong changes being made. Like, for example, the power play was awful. Like, <laughs> four for almost 50 in the postseason. That's garbage. Yeah. But you already know from past seasons and this season that the power play is not successful with Claude Giroux on the right wing. Yep. That doesn't work. Then why was Michelle's Terrian only thought to fix the power play switching Drew's wing assignment? Yeah. I don't understand it. And also, I get that you had a problem with Shane Gosper being pay- paired with Justin Braun or Robert Haig. Understandable. Ghost is a guy who's going to need a really good defensive presence with him. Like, he has to be in the top four to be a successful defenseman. Okay, get that. Cool. But when you have a team like the New York Islanders, where you make chances off of odd-end rushes in that quick transition, you need that speed and that offensive firepower from your blue line. That wasn't mm-hmm. there. You're not going to have that ghost element with Hag or Braun in the lineup. So at one point, I don't wonder why they thought, you know what? Let's change some things up. Let's pair Ghost with Provorov. We can slide Niskanen down to Sandheim, and we can put Myers with Hag or Myers and Braun. Like just something. Like I get, you know, I get, I understand why they didn't do that because Braun and Hag were a decent third pairing, mm-hmm. and you really saw the emergence of Phil Myers and Travis Sandheim as a second pairing. And at times, Phil Myers looked like the best Flyers defenseman. Mm. But at a certain point, when it comes to do or die and trying to survive in the playoffs, you need to make those changes. Yeah. And you need to get the the best lineup deployed possible to win you games. Mm. And I'm convinced that in this postseason, Elaine Vigneault, Mike Yo, Michelle Therrien, and Ian Lapierre did not do that. Mm. At least in the second round. The buttons they seemed to push in the first round against the Canadians worked. Got the job done. You won in six games. Yeah. It failed against the Islanders. Um, I'm real quick, Matt, before I give you back <laughs> the talking stick. I definitely think Elaine Vigneault's job is safe, obviously. Brand new head coach. Players seem to love him. Lappy's been here a long time. He got reassigned to a new role this year, was originally up in the press box. Then they moved them back down to the bench for player morale reasons. Mike Yo has done a pretty good job. But what has Michelle Terrian done this year? The power play has been abysmal. And I really don't think his job is safe. Yeah. And he's also the luxury you have with having three of your four assistant coaches being ex head coaches is those two assistants who are ex head coaches. There are teams who want coaches. Mm-hmm. So I am fingers crossed hoping <laughs> either Michelle Terrian gets his ass fired or gets hired by another NHL team because it's clear that Michelle Terrian at least running this defense and running this power play is not working. Yeah. And with that, Matt, I'll hand you back to talking stick. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I mean I was gonna that's definitely one of my main points too, where I was gonna say you could um going back to like the Flyers losing to the Islanders, there's 
I could really you can I can pinpoint three things, maybe four if I counted correctly, that you can kind of boil it down to is why the Flyers lost. Not even just in the, the Islanders series, but in the playoffs. Um like you just said, the power play, garbage. Um, Hot garbage. Yeah. The Flyers were very, were way, way too active in their own defensive zone for way too long, which leads to my third point. It's the same turnovers. players had been their own zone, too, every yes. time, too. Yes. So, which led to turnovers in our own zone, which obviously leads to goals after a while because again we saw the flyers in our own zone for upwards of like five plus minutes at a time where it's even strength out there and it looks like the other team has a three-man advantage or two-man advantage because like your defensemen forwards anyone like your whole team cannot move the puck fast enough or simply just put the puck off the boards and clear the blue line and make the other team regroup and then try again but like I mean, we saw points where the Flyers were just getting completely outplayed for way too long, and they paid for it way too often. So, I mean, and there is no, like, I guess this will be another, like, fourth point, too, where, like, you never, you didn't see enough of, like, that killer instinct from the Flyers. Mm -hmm. Where, like, I mean, granted, you have, and... It also goes back to like the lineup stuff where it's like you have you're you're making those changes, but I, again I agree with you where I feel like you their changes needed to be more desperate to like certain degree where it's like this isn't working, like it might mess everything else up, but like what do you have to lose at this point? Like let's just say go for it and then next thing you know it could springboard a lot like a lineup change can springboard you into like the cup final. But it's like again there's the power play needs to be worked on because oh my god like you almost like there was times where and it was funny because you saw it all over twitter where everyone was just like all right can we like can we decline the power play like we know like you knew for a fact that the flyers weren't going to score on the power play and like they were doing things wrong where like again it was only a matter of time before they gave up a shorthanded goal they did that once I think only once against Montreal, mm -hmm. but it's like also like you can't even gain the zone. You can't even get into your offensive zone. Um, you're, I mean, again, it comes down to puck luck too with this, but it's like your defensemen or whoever are bobbling the puck at the blue line and it's trickling over and then you have to regroup again. And then which leads us back to, you can't even get in the zone. So it's like, again, the power play is a mess that needs to be fixed. Uh, I think Vigneault, with just what he and again, you can't really you you can argue that a season can't be successful unless you win the Stanley Cup. But just as a, the Flyers, as a small, obviously a small part of the NHL, for how far they came this season compared to again the last decade, I say you can call it a success with like an asterisk where it's like again, there's a lot more that they need to do to like be to get to that next level mainly the power play, because, again, if you're going four for 50 on the power play in the postseason, you're probably not going to go anywhere. Um, but, again, like you said, experience is the best teacher at this point, where you have guys that have had no prior experience in the playoffs because the team has been has sucked or been mediocre for the past 10 years, and they're finally coming into their own 
where we talked about this again last week, where it's a breath of fresh air knowing that the team that we have now, on top of possible changes that we could see down the road in the near future, with the draft and the free agency and all that stuff coming up, which we'll touch on in the future when all that stuff gets closer. But it's nice knowing that the window for success, as in winning a Stanley Cup, is only opening again after being the Great Wall of China (laughs) that it was about being closed and there was nowhere to go for this team besides just, like, flatline or down. So it's nice to see things trending in the right direction again. And obviously you hope that they keep trending in the right direction because, again, there's a lot of things, there's a lot of positives to take away from this season. Um, I'm confident saying that we have a franchise goalie in Carter Hart for the next 10 years, hopefully, at least. I can I can confirm that as well, yes. Brian Elliott, he's been a more than solid 1B goalie, a.k.a. I mean, more of a backup since Hart's obviously like a, a workhorse in the net. So I wouldn't mind him seeing, like, seeing him come back. Like you said, again, we've seen Provorov, Sanheim, and Myers become very dominant. Couturier could win the Selkie for the first time. Um, I mean, we all were eating our words about Kevin Hayes when he got hot, which was great. But, again, you can you can say yes. Like, it, it sucks that they crapped out in the, in the second round, but they – there's again, there's a lot to look forward to, and there's finally light at the end of the tunnel. And I mean, at some point, you're just here for the ride where you're like, all right, like, what is this team going to do next to yeah. rip my heart out of my chest or like make me it, like elated and like happy, like happy? Like, so again, only time will tell at this point, but. I guess we can kind of put this one to, to rest for now, where uh, yeah. the 2019-2020 the Flyers um, are done. And, I mean, I'm trying to think. I'll probably just throw it over to you again, because I'm just kind of rambling on <laughs> at this point. So, um, well, with that being said, we'll wrap up our Flyers coverage for now, as we see fit. Um, we, can, we can touch on one more thing, um, if you want. Oscar Lindblom. Oh yeah, Oscar Lindblom did return from his um, his you know battle with Ewing sarcoma. Got into two games, got into game six, mm-hmm. and to game game seven of the series, and looked actually pretty good, which is you know for not having played hockey nine months was fantastic. Um, and you know only only up from here. You know, you're hopefully fingers crossed that Oscar keeps on staying healthy, gets stronger again, and comes in the next season. You know, rare and ready to go because at the time when he got diagnosed with with Ewing sarcoma, he was one of the Flyers' best players and leading. He was tied, I think, for the goal scoring lead. Mm-hmm. So it can only go up from here. Um, real quick to go back and touch on the po- postseason this year is. A couple of things I did find concerning as well, too, was with certain players who just looked bad, who didn't want to sit. And that being Travis Konechny. Travis yeah. Konechny was not himself this postseason. No goals, seven assists. You know, while of the seven assists, a couple of them were very key, important goals. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was your leading goal scorer in the regular season. You need him to be going. 
Yeah. And then at some point, we've had a problem with this with Flyers players in the past, too. Where hockey players, I get, we are very prideful creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, we always want to play. Mm-hmm. But at a certain point, you need to think back and go, is my playing the right thing to doing? And am I hurting the team? Mm-hmm. me blocked that shot in the first round against Montreal Canadiens off his foot and left and did not play the rest of game five. He looked awful when he returned ever since. Yeah. And if you are hurt to the point of where you're not producing and you're not your normal self, you are hurting the team, you need to sit your ass down. Because there's someone else who is healthy and go in the lineup and can be better than you because they are just straight up healthy. (laughs) So that was frustrating because I feel like TK could have hurt the team and who knows who else could have fit under that bubble there. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that now, Matt, <laughs> real quick, I'll take your thoughts on Oscar Winblom, and then we can kind of move into our summary of the – a real quick summary of the Flyers' regular season yeah. as, a, as a look to the future for next year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think there's one word to describe what, describe Winblom is that it's it's awesome. I mean – like you saw his battle start back in was it early December I think yeah early diagnosed. December got diagnosed yeah. um and then I mean you he didn't know what was going to happen at that point because at that point he becomes a human being first as opposed to a hockey player where you're not even worried about when he's going to come back you're just worried if he's going to be okay mm-hmm. and we saw him going through his treatments he obviously wasn't playing that whole time um but then there was hope, and I think it was what they said two months in a day, so two months ago, July, yeah. yeah, early July, like early July. You saw at first there were fake reports that he was done his chemo treatments and like basically cancer free, but then again, those turned out to be fake, and then just a few days later, we got the real thing. And it was just, again, it's it was great to see where, I mean, anyone who beats any cancer is a warrior. But, um, I mean, like, again, I think it was Penn Medicine who was doing his treatments, and they're mm-hmm. obviously one of the top, like, top uh, hospitals in the world. Um, but, yeah, you saw him ring his bell. You saw him thank you, all the nurses. Um, his girlfriend was there, so, like, he was obviously officially cancer-free, done treatment. So then you were like, oh, like... Maybe, like, is there a chance he can play? Because that was also right around the time where we, like, hockey was coming back. So, and obviously, one of the, that's one of the first things on everyone's minds is, like, if the Flyers make it far enough, can he play? Or, I mean, I think it was just going to be a morale boost either way if he was just with them in the bubble, which he was after the first few days. Um, mm-hmm. But... You, I mean, again, you would have just loved to see a lot more jump out of the Flyers, like, knowing that a guy like that was just even, like, suiting up. Like, and I'm sure it does, like, I'm sure it did get them, like, fired up, but, like, it just didn't seem like it from the way they played it most of the time. But anyway, going back to just Limbaugh himself, I mean, guy's a warrior, and, I mean, he he made it back for two games, but obviously the season's over now, so hopefully he can kind of get to back to 100% where he was maybe before his diagnosis, but, um, hey, I mean, he's just got to keep working, keep battling, and, I mean, he can definitely become, he can become, I'm not a doctor, so I won't say definitely, but he hopefully can become, um, 
the same player he was again before his diagnosis because he was playing really well. And, um, yeah, I mean, just hopefully we'll see him just get better and better. Yeah, and in the 30 regular season games Limbaum did skate in before his Ewing sarcoma diagnosis, he had 11 goals and 7 assists for 18 points. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty pretty good numbers there for a yeah. you know a second year player third year player yeah um so only up from there um but with that we can kind of move on to our summary of at least the 2019-20 regular <laughs> season um which you know is is bright and like we did say what while it is seems a little gloomy and dark now overall was a success yeah um in 69 nice games played the flyers <laughs> were 41 21 and 7 with 89 points, finishing fourth overall in the Eastern Conference. They were 25-6-4 at home and 16-15-3 and three on the road. In their last 10 before the playoffs, they were 5-5. Five and five. So 500 hockey up and down there were on a nice little streak heading in. Oh, sorry, they were, that was the shootout overtime losses over the wrong side. They were 9-1 before the post, before COVID happened. My mistake there. I read the wrong column. Um... You know, overall, they were really bright, you know, led by all-star Travis Konechny this past season. 66 games played, 61 points, 24 goals, 37 assists, which explains why I was so critical of him of his postseason performance. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, second overall in points, Sean Couturier with 59 and 69. Jake Voracek had 56 and 69 games. Claude Giroux, 53, 69. Kevin Hayes, 41 and 69. James Van Riemsdyk even 40 in 66 games played. So overall, it was a very, really good year. The additions of Batniskin and Justin Braun added mm-hmm. to this team. You saw players like Konechny and Provorov um, and Phil Myers and Sanheim and Carter Hart take that next step and elevate their play to help the team out. You mm-hmm. saw Joel Farabee come in. You saw lower end additions like Tyler Pitlick make a real nice push in addition to this lineup. Um, and then, of course, eventually got a taste of Morgan Frost in there as well. But overall, a fantastic season. Kind of that next step into saying, okay, we're the Flyers and we're relevant again. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, we can only go up from here. If the yeah. team goes down, you know, there's a big problem somewhere. Mm. Um but really thinking about whenever the next season takes it takes place, I have high expectations for this team. They prove now that they can win and they can hang with the rest of the Eastern Conference and the rest of the NHL. Yes. We have a franchise goalie. Carter Hart, markets assigned, sealed, and done. Yeah. You know, so we just need to make those right tinkerings for the next offseason, uh-huh. make the right plans in place. And like you mentioned, Matt, and we talked about last week too. The window of opening a Stanley Cup is starting to creak open now. It's going to be open for a good chunk of time. Yeah. Um, something that will be interesting, I think, is who sticks around. Mm-hmm. I think another thing that we saw from this postseason was that Elaine Vigneault maybe not so happy with the performance of his core players. Yeah. Um, and he definitely was vocal about it. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see who sticks around, of course. You know, Justin Braun's a UFA. Mm-hmm. Um Nate Thompson and Derek Grant are both unrestricted free agents. Brian Elliott's an unrestricted free agent. So there are some key contracts coming off the books. Yeah. Niskanen's only on the book for one more year after this. Um, Nolan Patrick, even. 
Nolan Patrick's an RFA as of right now, and I was starting to see a debate online Twitter yesterday and earlier today of <laughs> should the Flyers even re-sign him? And I'm like, why is this even a question? Yeah. Um, you know, you're hoping he can get his career back on track, but he has to get better as a human being first. It's kind of yeah. the same thing with Lindblom. Um, so you're hoping the next steps can be made, and you know, you're wondering what's going to happen with Shane Gossespierre. Is he going to get traded or are we going to keep wasting his and our time by benching him and not playing him? Um, you got Igor Zamula who's going to be pro. Wyatt Wiley's going to be pro. Wade Allison, Tanner Lisinski, they're all becoming professional players. Um, so you're adding in the core pipeline and the core prospects. They're now going to be with the Lehigh Valley Phantoms or on the Philadelphia Flyers roster. So the time is now. Flyers also... Kept the majority of their picks for the past upcoming drafts. Um, you know, this upcoming draft, they all, they have all their picks except for one, which is the third round that belongs to the San Jose Sharks because that was in the Justin Braun trade last summer. Mm-hmm. Um, next year, they've got all their picks except for their fifth round. And then in 2022, they have all their picks as of right now. So in a win-now mode, which we are now entering, um, picks and prospects are excellent little trade bits. So I'm really looking forward to see what this team can go. I'm looking forward to seeing more um, from Joel Farabee, more from Morgan Frost, more from Provrov and Konechny, Frost, um, Sandheim and Myers, of course, and obviously Carter Hart. You know, this team, they are all entering their primes. Yeah. And they are the next future, the next core of this team, and I'm excited to see where they can go with them. <laughs> oh, man, that's a tough one to follow up. Um. So I'm going to do you one better and summarize my thoughts in one word. I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so here, I'll, yeah, I'll go a little different here, but I'll summarize my thoughts in one word for the team just going forward. And I think that one word is rise, where if you look at the NHL as a whole, we're going to see, uh, we, and again, we feel like we basically repeat ourselves every week, but whatever. We're going to see uh, the shift in the balance of power in the NHL where the teams that have been good and dangerous for the, in recent years are declining a bit in ways, shapes and forms. Um, and the teams who haven't been doing well in recent years are on the rise. I think the flyers are one of the prime examples of that, but yeah, I mean, and again, I'll go, I'll go from one word to one sentence uh, great work, but still work to be done. And um, there could be some changes to the roster, which could be for better, or for worse. Hopefully, for better. Where, like you said, we're we're gonna get a second look at these guys that we got during the season, trade wise, signing wise. And I mean, we'll talk about this again in the coming weeks. Um, but free agency is coming up. The free agency class isn't the best out there, but there's still some possible white whales that could be landed or I don't want to say killed because like whaling's like not cool <laughs> but um you obviously want to land like to if you can smartly land a top free agent without screwing yourself cap wise then I say go for it but I'm also not going to get my hopes up about anything but it's like also again there's the in-house stuff that I feel like should be taken care of first where 
Um, you sign the guys that you think should be re-signed. I think one of those guys, I think, he, is he a free agent after this year? Well, I guess now. Uh, Pitlick? Tyler Pitlick? Pitlick, yeah. So, real quick, Flyers, uh, understood free agents this offseason. Tyler Pitlick, Nate Thompson, Derek Grant, Justin Braun, Brian Elliott. Yeah. RFAs, Nicholas Abbe-Kubel, Robert Haig, Philippe Myers, and Nolan Petrick. Yeah, all right. So, I mean... I'd have to have the list in front of me, but good. Thank you for reading it. <laughs> um, I'm going Pitlick. I think he has to stay, or I think he should stay, because I think he was kind of the one of the under the radar best flyers this year. And I had no idea who the guy was when they signed him. I'm like, who the I'm like who the hell is Tyler Pitlick? Like, but we only gave him a million dollars, I think, right, or something like that. Uh, I believe he was already under contract, but yes, uh, he made but, one million flat this past yeah. season. But, like, he was – I wouldn't even say he was a risk because, like, he's obviously – he's a bottom six guy. But, like, we saw, like, him play really well, like, under the radar. Like, he did what he was supposed to do, and he did it constantly, and he did it very well. So I think we should bring him back. After these playoffs, I probably am okay without Derek Grant and Nate Thompson. Um, Agree 110%. Yeah. I think you keep – I would keep Obey Kubel. Because I feel like he could somehow be um, like some form of like a poor man Scott Lawton. He's also another. Right now, he's the same kind of player as Pitlick. Yeah, exactly. Speedy, undersized winger, hard on the forecheck, makes the right plays, block, take a hit, block a mm-hmm. shot, do whatever you can to win. Yeah, and has a little bit of, of an offensive flair. Hmm. Um, Braun, I'm kind of indifferent about where I'd be like, meh. Um, Justin Braun is interesting because yeah. he's making I will say, right. And I guess even like bringing Haig into the mix, like like Haig and Braun, they were they were a solid third, like third defensive pair. But okay. yeah, so <laughs> I would I'm trying to think. I wouldn't be too upset if they were to part ways with them. I think maybe keep Haig, like give him maybe like a bridge deal. Same thing with Braun. I don't know, but well, I think I think all the RFA stay. Yeah. Um, All up front, right. I, I can drop that. I dropped my pen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think I think the Flyers do manage to keep all the RFAs, including Nolan Patrick. Get out here with this nonsense. The Flyers should sign him or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I can agree with you. I'm Nate Thompson, Derek Grant. Launched them into the sun. Never want to <laughs> see on my hockey team ever again. Um, and while Justin Braun is a good third pairing defenseman, I think. Mm-hmm. He's making, well, he was making $3.8 million this season. He, based on how well he played in a third pairing slash second pairing role at times, he's going to want a raise. Flyers can't afford to do that. The Flyers can't afford to give a raise to a 33-year-old $3.8 million player who's going to be on their bottom pairing on the defense. Um, So I think Justin Braun is gone. Mm-hmm. And also, who knows what happens? The Flyers got a plethora of young defensemen coming up. Mark Friedman sign on now for next year. Sam Moran, hopefully he can stay healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, Igor Igor Zamula is also going to be in the mix. So I really think, you know, Justin Braun's probably gone because he's going to yeah. want to make more make north of four million bucks this year, and the Flyers can afford that. Mm-hmm. Tyler Pitlick is a player I think they absolutely must need to sign. But at the end of the day, it's going to depend on how much money he wants. Yeah. He needs to see roughly. He needs to stay roughly at a million dollars. 
Yeah. If he wants more than that, it's going to be tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, the Flyers, you need to decide what they need to do uh, with backup goalie for Carter yeah. Hart. Um, Brian Elliott was making $2 million. Um, if Elliott wants to come back, let's shave that $2 million down a little bit. You know, you're, he's going to be 35, 36 next year. You know what? I don't mm-hmm. know if I want to pay a 36-year-old goaltender $2 million. <laughs> um, and also, I think there are some really good backup goaltender options out there in the market, a.k.a. Thomas Grice yeah. and Anton Kudobin. I would be ecstatic if the Flyers could sign one of them. Um, so we'll see where it goes. And, of course, you also think about the future because next year is Carter Hart's last year on his entry-level contract. Oh, so- just pay the kid. He's gonna get a big raise. You gotta pay yeah. Myers. I think. My, I think, ideally, looking at the salary capture here. Thank you to Cap Friendly. No free ads though. Um, I think Phil Myers is gonna get a similar contract to Travis Sanheim. Sanheim's will be on his second year of his bridge deal at three point two five million. Mm-hmm. I can see Myers being in that realm. Yeah. Um. So luckily, you know, they've got a good chunk of their core, like the the. Ivan Provorov and the Travis Technique signings before the start of this past season were excellent. So that's a couple of years of nice contract security yeah. there. Um, you know, Claude Drew, surprisingly, sorry, next year only has two more years left on his deal. Mm. Um, Jake Voracek's got three, I think. <laughs> for, uh, three. Um, Hayes is also locked up long term. In other interesting players, I wonder. So what's going to happen with JVR? He's making yeah. $7 million until 2023. Oh Either I don't like that contract. Well, at the time we liked it because we needed a goal scorer. Yeah. Well, and when Hexall signed him. But goal scorers are streaky. That's their big problem. Yeah. But you're, going to over, you're always going to overpay in free agency. And unless JVR is scoring goals, he's not doing much else. So he's either going to get traded this offseason or we all pray to God and hope that he gets picked up by the Seattle Kraken in the expansion <laughs> draft. Because you know, JVR, I love you. Second overall pick. You were a, a glisten of hope for so many years where we trade you for Luke Shen. Then you were a glisten of hope when we re-signed you for one season. And then you were poop again. Yeah. So uh, I love you, JVR, but I think your time has come and i think the flyers need to finally move on you yeah. know you know hextall was around when the jvr was still here the first time he brought him back now there's no allegiance to james van Riemsdyk, none <laughs> at all mm-hmm. so we'll see what happens but they've got you know they're up against the cap again the flyers are yet again a salary cap team and yeah. thanks to COVID, the salary cap is staying flat for probably the next couple of years. Yep. So you're not going to have that rising cap that gives you more cap space. It's stuck at $81.5 million, mm-hmm. which in hindsight is you know, what actually is a lot of damn money. Yeah. Um, but not when you have an expensive professional pro, pro, pro sports team to run. Yeah. So this will be very, very interesting. Um. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it'll just be. There's already been success with this team. Obviously, there can be more, and we'll just we're just kind of again we're here for the ride at, at this point with the off season being here because they won't be playing any games for the next at least probably three months, maybe 
Um, but I mean, you're just it's exciting and um, it's just nice to have something to talk about where again we have that well-stocked prospect pool, but there's also stuff that they can do as an organization to bring in outside players because now that the Flyers are coming into the contender status again, you might start seeing those high-profile free agents being like, hey, like maybe I want to go to Philadelphia for a chance to like make something happen and win a cup. So, I mean, it's going to, it's like I said, it's just going to, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. And now that we don't have any Flyers hockey to watch, you just got to kind of sit back, relax as much as you can with <laughs> how stressful this team can be. And um, just let it, all the pieces hopefully fall into the right places. But um, yeah, I mean, it's tough to say. I'm trying to think. It's it's going to be tough, but it's also again going to be interesting because the salary cap's not going up. You have to still kind of fill a couple needs, if possible, but you don't want to like again shoot yourself in the foot and be out of money for the next X amount of seasons because something else might come up. So again, we'll just see what happens. But um, I think with that, um, do we? officially officially put the flyer season to rest for now and then we move on to the um current events going on in the national hockey league after an ad break i i think master we can lay as of right now the 2019-20 philadelphia flyers to bed we can tuck them in say good night turn, <laughs> turn on the night light turn off the overhead yeah. light turn on the fan mm-hmm Lower the air conditioning down to a nice, comfortable temperature and see see where they go. Um, but yes, with that, <laughs> after your cool ASMR segment here on 5-Minute Major Radio, we will be, and we are back here at 5-Minute Major Radio. Um, so now, Matt, I'll let you kind of take the ropes here on our Around the League segment, because there still is hockey being played. Yes. Um, yeah, we'll jump right into it. So uh, the conference finals are going on. They actually, um, all the games are now taking place in Edmonton, in the Edmonton bubble. So, um, RIP and peace to the Toronto bubble. Um, Good while you lasted. Fun. It was fun while it lasted. But um, starting in the East, we've already had both conference finals start, and both are already on game two within the next night, or even now. But um, jumping back to last night, the Tampa Bay Lightning... <laughs> made easy work of the New York Islanders and took game one by a score of eight to two. You just eight um, to two see it. Yeah. Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov combined for ten points just between the two of them. Um and the Lightning again easily handled the Islanders in game one. So they have that one nothing lead on the series. Um I don't think it's gonna happen like that every game, but the Lightning I think it could be their year, but just based off of that, I mean, we we already we've already seen a complete mismatch in teams. So um, that's my two cents as of now. I didn't even really watch the game because it was a blowout, and I went, "Oh, I guess I don't even have to watch it because I knew he was going to win." <laughs> so I was just kind of waiting to see if anything noteworthy popped up on Twitter. Uh, there was that one sequence with Kucherov that I think he assisted on points, one of points goals. 
Yes. Where he, like, batted the puck, like, to himself or something like that somehow. But it was just, like, unreal. Like, obviously, Kucherov is one of the best players. The If not at, right now, he's probably the best player in the league with everyone else eliminated. But, um, yeah, the Lightning looked scary good. Oh, the Lightning looked very good. And uh, I saw the meme today going around on Flyers Twitter today where it was the Flyers, like, holding open the door for the New York Islanders. And then there's Jason Voorhees but with a Tampa Bay Lightning logo with a machete oh, saying they're getting ready to stab him. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right. Um, like, like we said in our analysis of the Flyers-Islanders series, um, the better team's going to come to win. Well, the yeah. better team showed up last night. And, um, Matt, I agree with you. I think this is Tampa's year. Um, I personally, I'm predicting a Tampa-Vegas Stanley Cup final, and I think Tampa wins. They are just... Even without Steven Samkos, they are firing in all cylinders, and they yeah. are scary, scary good. Yeah. Um. So I, I think I think the Islanders will win one game this series, but my pick officially is Tampa in five. And where I don't think Tampa's three other wins are going to be eight to two blowouts. Mm-hmm. I could still feasibly see you know four to one, five to one. Yeah. Maybe even well, a three nothing shutout because Vasilevsky's been one of the best goalies in the playoffs. Yeah, and, like, the, the shot margin itself wasn't even that bad either because it was, like, shots were 34-24 Tampa, obviously. But, I mean, eight goals, like, what a way to just step on a team's throat right out of the gate. And, obviously, like, the Islanders just played a game seven. Um, and then had to travel. And then had to, yeah. So, like, that's not going to help the Islanders' case. But, yeah, I think you're probably right. I think this is going to go five games. But I think the Lightning are going to kind of make quick, semi-quick work of the Islanders. Um, did you again, did you see real quick? Do you see Elliot Freeman's stat? No. Uh, I think I yeah I did, but I forget though. The the Tampa Bay Lightning, every shot on every shot attempt they made until like six, 67 seconds left from the game. Yeah, hit the net. Yeah. So the Tampa Bay Lightning, in fifty seven, you know, in the majority of the whole hockey game. Yes. Every shot made it to Was, made it to Thomas Grice or Sibian Varlamov. That's and crazy. you're gonna score eight goals when you do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but game two of that series is tomorrow night at eight o'clock on NBC Sports. Um, which brings us to just our only other series at this point. Um, we we can kind of rewind a little bit because we did have I we did have an upset. I'd say uh, the Dallas Stars took down the Colorado Avalanche in Game Seven in overtime. Uh, so it doesn't get any better than that as a hockey fan, but. The, the Dallas Stars are in the conference finals against the Vegas Golden Knights, and they have a one nothing series lead. Um, that first game was on Sunday, um, and the Stars took it just one nothing. Um, but, I mean, hey, one goal is all you need if you just stop the other team's all their shots. Um, yeah. But, and then game two of that series is actually on now. Um, they're in the first period at 0-0, and there's about three minutes left in the first. So we'll... After we're done recording this, we'll probably go watch that and see what happens with that. But oh, I don't know, man. It's tough to call. Like, I want to say Vegas takes it because I did have them in the conference final, West, the Western Conference final, so I'm half right about that. But just the way that, that Dallas is almost like, I guess you can, can you call Dallas like the team of destiny in, like, in, in a way where like, you didn't really think they were going to get past Calgary. And then 
they put up a seven spot against Calgary in game six after Calgary was up three nothing. Um, and then they take the Avalanche distance and beat them in a game seven overtime. And then you have the whole thing with like Anton Hudobin being like unreal. So I don't know. I mean, I'm going to go. I might go. I'll go Golden Knights in seven in this. I think this might win. This might go the distance as well. But I just feel like the, the Knights are going to be too tough to go away because, I mean, with Leonard and Flurry just in net, I feel like that's a pretty lethal combo. And any one of those guys can be on their A game any day of the week. So we'll see. But for now, again, like I said, they're scoreless in game two. Uh, game three of that series is Thursday. So every series, each series at this point is uh, every other day. Yeah. And then, so there's one game on every day, which is nice. So, Dave, what do you got? Um, I think Vegas is going to win in six or seven games. Um, I think just Dallas is going to, they're doing enough to stick around. Mm-hmm. Um, but honestly, <laughs> it could go either way. But I just, just I'm making my prediction that Vegas is going to win just by looking on paper. That's it. You know, I'm seeing the better team on papers easily hands down the Vegas Golden Knights. That being said, if the Dallas Stars can shut down Vegas like they did in game one, you know, they'll win the series. Yeah. Um, but it was a definitely an interesting decision, I think, by Pete DeBoer to start Marc-Andre Fleury in game one over Robin Leonard, who was fantastic, who has been fantastic for you this postseason. Um, but you, you never, the Dallas Stars, they're that sneaky team. That just has made it to the the Western Conference final, I believe, for the first time since 2008. Um, so it'll definitely be interesting. Mm-hmm. It's it's great hockey to watch. Saturday's game was entertaining, even though it was only one nothing. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm definitely like you said, man. As soon as we're done recording, I'm gonna be editing this and throwing that game on the background <laughs> because who knows and. Now, now that I'm not invested in watching playoff hockey, really, give me yeah. all the overtimes. Yeah. I am no longer going to be stressed out about them. Give me games that go five, six overtimes. I am here for it. Um, but yeah, like in, in conclusion, again, I do think Vegas wins this series in six or seven games. I'm leaning towards six, um, mm-hmm. but seven is an entirely, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Well said, well said. Uh, sorry, I just got a text. Um, but with that being said, I mean, that's all we have to talk about series-wise. So we'll go from uh, the on-the-ice play to some off-ice stuff with some news around the league. Um, the NHL announced on, what was the fifth, Sunday? Yeah, sorry. So, all right, so beginning this past Sunday, the 6th, uh, the NHL was going to start announcing the awards for the regular season. Um, and we already have a couple of those that were announced. Um, so on Sunday, the first award that was awarded was the King Clancy Memorial Trophy. And that went to um, Matt Dumba of the Minnesota Wild. Um, that is awarded to the player who player or players who best exemplify leadership qualities on and off the ice and have made a noteworthy humanitarian contribution in their communities. Um, I mean, we've seen the the civil unrest and stuff like that, So, but Matt Dumba, Dumba has kind of been one of the spearheads in this um, 
in this movement and uh, deservedly so he gets the King Clancy Memorial Trophy. Um, that's all I really have to say, Dave. What do you think? Yeah, no, de- deserving of the award. Um, Matt Dumb has done a lot to be an active and good member in his community with the Minnesota Wild. So, all in all, deserving, and I've got no complaints here. All right, now we can move on to our next award. So, the next award that was announced was uh, yesterday. This was, you can argue that like everyone, well, you, 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 there's no arguing that everyone, I'm trying to think how to word this. Everyone deserves to win this award who's nominated for it. Um, mm-hmm. But um, yesterday, the Bill Masterton Memorial Trophy was announced, the winner of that. Um, Bobby Ryan won, and um, he went through a lot of substance abuse issues, alcoholism. Also, his mother mm-hmm. passed away. She was a big um, role model for him. So, he was actually in the NHL substance abuse program for a while and trying to get his personal life back on track. Um, very grateful that he did. And, I mean, a great story for him coming back to his first game back with the Senators. He scores a hat trick. So, I mean, that's crazy. But then, um, and again, I don't, this is not to discredit Bobby Ryan at all because, like, if you like, if I were to win this, you almost kind of, like, feel bad that other people have to lose because everyone is going through some negative situation mm-hmm. where like Oscar Lindblom obviously went through whole, his whole situation. We just talked about that a few minutes ago. Um, Steven Johns on the stars was also, I believe he also was battling of a type of cancer as well. So I'm not exactly sure what I feel bad that I don't know, but <laughs> I was thinking that like either Lindblom or Bobby Ryan was going to win that award. But again, like, Anyone, I think, deserves to win that award. Um, even, like, just to be nominated is obviously a huge thing, but Bobby Ryan takes it home. Um, Dave, I think you're looking up John's right now, are you? Uh, yeah. I forget. I'm, I want to say it was some form of cancer. Uh, no. He missed 20 months of, head, of hockey because of a head injury. This is from the Dallas Morning News, an article by Matthew DeFranks. Um, so, yeah, essentially it was 22 months because of, of a concussion. Oh, all right. Um, and he reserved, returned back to hockey this past season. Um, so, yeah, you, you, I mean, you said it best, Matt. This award, all three nominees could easily win the award, and there's really no reason to shame the when when the one person for winning, and I was kind of disappointed in Flyers Twitter when I saw the reaction yesterday to when Bobby Ryan won the award. Yeah, you're like guilting this guy into like because it's like yeah, come on, like there's yeah. really and also thing to, uh, to put in perspective next is you don't know what Bobby Ryan's going to be like next year, and his story fits well for this season, and good for him. Oscar Lindblom next if he can come back and be have a full have a full comeback where he plays all of next regular season. Mm-hmm. He's one eligible to win the award again, and you have to think that he will win the award. Yeah. So all Flyers fans who are mad who are upset be like, think like a human, like think like a rational human being for a second. Come off your Flyers basis horse and look at it from a bigger picture, and mm-hmm. go, okay, it's fine. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean. 
And I, I love Bobby Ryan. They were for years, Matt, you know, that we all wanted Bobby Ryan to be on the Philadelphia Flyers because, as Pierre Maguire always reminds us, Cherry Hill native. Yeah. Um, but you know what? Good for him. You know what? He had his own personal demons and his own struggles. He came back, proved it, worked on himself as a human first, mm-hmm. and then came back to being a hockey player. And that's what all these players have done, and they all deserve the award. So yeah. I got no complaints at all. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, like, again, like you said, I, you can't be mad at someone for winning that award. So, um, but that will, will bring us to our next one. Um, the most recent one that was announced earlier today was the winner of the 2020 Willie O'Ree Community Hero Award. Um, this award is named after, obviously, Willie O'Ree, the person who broke the color barrier as the first black player in NHL history. Um, fun fact, he tweeted me once, which was cool. Um, but... This award recognizes an individual who, like O'Ree, has worked to make a positive impact on his or her, his or her community, culture, or society, and to make people better through hockey. Uh, this award was awarded to a man named Dom Dampy D A M P Y Brar. Sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name there, sir. But um, congratulations and um, Brar. This is from NHL.com. Brar uh, played professionally in the International Hockey League and West Coast Hockey League. Uh, he mentors, coaches, and teaches hockey to kids and started an initiative with his partner, uh, Lolly Tour, called APNA Hockey. Uh, the programs provide support to South Asian and other ec- ethnic players, uh, connects the community, highlights players and parents, and spreads information. Um, he's done a lot with um, Haley Wickenheiser, one of the most famous Canadian hockey players, um, also a Hall of Famer. Um, he brought the first women's ice hockey team from India to Canada in 2018 for Wickenheiser's uh, Wickfest, uh, which is like a tournament for a bunch of, I think it's mainly women teams. I don't know much about that, so I'm sorry. But um, And then he also has been to the Himalayas uh, to attend ice hockey championships and to is basically just looking to keep spreading his initiative internationally so a lot of work done on his part again i think anyone who gets nominated for this deserves the award but in the end you can only pick one winner but congratulations to him congratulations um, Dave, to any thoughts no i, I think don't you know much ev- about him besides you covered everything that. there my friend yeah <laughs> all right um from here we still have a handful of awards uh tomorrow will be no yeah tomorrow will be probably um Tomorrow and Thursday will be very interesting days for us as Flyers fans because tomorrow will be the announcement of the Jack Adams Award winner. Uh, We have Elaine Vigneault nominated for that, along with Tortorella and Bruce Cassidy from the Bruins. Thursday, I feel like third, what's, I don't know. I guess it's going to be good if one of them wins, but obviously even better if both of them win. Um, Thursday, we have the Selkie Trophy. Um, the The Selkie Trophy goes through Patrice Bergeron at this point, um, but we've seen Sean Gatterier give him a run for his money these past couple years or so after being nominated a handful of times. So hopefully this is the year. We'll find out Thursday. Um, from there, we have the... On Friday, we have the Lady Bing Memorial Trophy. Saturday, we have the Jim Gregory GM of the Year Award. Uh, no finalists for that yet. We also have, on Sunday, the Marc Messier NHL Leadership Award. Uh, no finalists for that. And then there will also be some sort of show 
during the cup final with the announcement of the Calder Trophy, the Hart Trophy, uh, the Norris Trophy, the Ted Lindsay Award, and the Vesna Trophy. So um, almost every day we'll have a trophy winner from now until whenever the cup final starts. So some interesting news there. Uh, what else we got? Let me see what I have on my iPad here. So I don't want to end with this one because it's sad. Oh, all right. We'll go. Yeah, all right. We can go with this one because we have one more thing. But um, some sad news out of the hockey world in general. Uh, the world's oldest hockey player died on August 30th, was 99 years old. Um, Mark Sertich, uh, he was a World War II veteran. And, I mean, he played hockey until 99 years old. Like, what a what a guy. But um, we, I forget what video, he was a, there was like a big video about him somewhere, but... Back when he was um, 93, six years ago. Yeah. I remember sharing the videos saying, well, I hope when I'm 93, I'm still out there buzzing around. Yeah. Um, but again, he was, he was the world's oldest hockey player. Um, rest in peace, my friend. You had a, a very illustrious life and hockey career. Thank you for your service in World War II. But uh, you will be missed. But I'm sure he'll live on forever. Um, great mustache, too. Yes. So if you don't, if you haven't seen a picture of him, or I, I guess we can try and link the video if we find it on Twitter. Um, but we'll do that for him. Um, the only other thing I have tonight is the Mark Recchi just basically making his way through the Metro at this point. Because... I hate Mark Recchi. I I hate Mark Recchi now. <laughs> um, he is now a member of the New Jersey Devils coaching staff as an assistant coach. Um, he is joining the staff of Lindy Ruff, who was hired by the Devils as the new head coach on July 9th. Um, Mark Recchi, just again, not making himself, um, any, not gaining any status among Flyers fans after being a Flyer for so long, because goes to the Penguins as a player, wins the cup, wins two cups with them as a coach. Mm Mm-hmm. And then now he's going to the Devils, so it's like he's basically just making his way. And he won a couple of the Bruins, yeah, and the Hurricanes. So he's just not—he's not in good favor with Flyers fans right now. But no, but again, newsworthy. Um, he is now part of the Devils staff, and well, I don't like that. So I wish him all the most not success in the world. I hope you lose every game. And the New Jersey Devils suck. <laughs> hmm. All right, let me see if I have one more. Here, uh, this is kind of like bittersweet too, because this day in history, September 8th, 1971, uh, Gordie Howe announced his retirement after 25 seasons with the Detroit Red, Red Wings um, and was named the team's vice president. Um, but that's that's all. That's not His even like retirement. Yeah. Quotations. <laughs> so uh, a little fun fact to end the night. But other than that, Dave, um, I'm, I'm done. And yeah. I mean, we just got we got more hockey to watch. But I mean, all eyes for me are still on the flyers for the most part here. It'll be interesting to see what comes about. Because uh, now the flyers are in offseason mode. Trades can be made. And we've seen them been we have seen them 
be made by other teams and division rivals. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see what happens from here on. Um, just some quick and newsworthy notes real quick. You know, the NHL draft did get moved up. Oh, it was, was supposed to be slated for October 9th and 10th, a weekend, Friday and Saturday. Hell yeah. Um, well, the NHL said yet to that, and they moved it to October 6th and 7th, which is a Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively. Um, times have not been announced yet, so we'll see what goes there. But also the NHL did announce that free agency will also start on October 9th. So we've got about a month of active hockey left before things move into the off season. So with that, you know, we'll see where things can go. Um, we will keep everyone update on any flyers, news and rumblings that happen and rumors. And, um, for those who still want to listen, obviously we will keep on going as long as the cup final is happening because there's hockey to be watched. There's hockey to be discussed. Yeah. So we're not going anywhere just yet. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited to see what happens from here, but, uh, Again, we'll, we still have a Stanley Cup to award, and then those awards to award. So there's still some some fight left in this season. Um, but as for the Flyers, it's just, again, we'll see how they move and shake at this point. Yep. And, um, of course, any guests who wants to come onto our podcast, I believe we already do have our guests lined up for next week's show. Still have to confirm that, but I'm 99.99% sure that's a lock. Um Master knows who I'm talking about, of course. A little tease <laughs> for everyone else. I was gonna say we will keep it a mystery for now. We'll keep it a mystery for now. He is a recurring, he is a returning guest. He has been on the podcast before. Yeah. So if you are a avid listener, you might know you will probably recognize this person. Uh-huh. Um, but going forward, feel free to reach out to either myself or Mastro on any of the socials. We are looking for recurring guests to come on the pod, so we're all here for it. Um we will be back next week with a new episode, but hopefully uh-huh. we'll be discussing, hopefully, Elie Vigneault and Sean Couture winning both of their NHL awards, respectively. Yeah. Um, with that, we'll say thank you, Flyers. <laughs> and we'll be back next week to talk about the rest of the league. There we go. Later.